Most of the traditional and investment styles and asset classes could be categorized as short wall. So if you're along equity or um, you're buying real estate, all these different investments benefit from a rather steady environment, obviously upwards trending equity market, but not too volatile, not too many surprises. And this implicit short wall position, they get hurt if volatility hits market. On the other side, you can develop trading strategies um, and programs, approaches which benefit from a spike in volatility or an expansion in volatility. And as such, um, you can strengthen your overall portfolio with uh, long vol strategies so that the overall portfolio gets uh, much more stable. You have uh, someone who has your back basically in times of crisis as seen over and over again, and you get a better, more balanced portfolio by combining it. For me, the best part of my podcasting journey has been the opportunity to speak to a huge range of extraordinary investors from around the world. In this series, I have invited one of them, namely Jason Buck, to host a sequence of in-depth conversations on the topic of volatility. In today's world, the concept of volatility has moved to the top of the agenda of many investors as they try to analyze and understand the riskiness of their portfolios. With ever-increasing uncertainty around the globe, knowing if you are essentially long or short volatility in your portfolio can mean the difference between ruin or survival when the next crisis emerge. The aim of these conversations is to try and understand the experiences that have influenced these highly specialized investors and the processes they follow to harness their returns, in order to make all of us better informed investors. And with that, please welcome Jason Buck. Thank you, Niels, for the introduction. My special guest today is Bastian Balesta of Deepfield Capital. We're going to talk about all things VolArb using ensemble approaches, talk about intraday momentum trading, which is a unique wrinkle, and also talk about the Red Queen principle of, of research and, and keeping your models up to date. So, Bastian, I'm going to start with the easiest yet probably the most difficult question is, in your personal opinion, why should somebody add volatility to their portfolio? <laughs> First of all, thank you very much for the warm introduction, Jason. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast today. I always enjoy talking to you. And thanks for starting with this question. So why should one add volatility um, to, his, to the portfolio? Probably, um, first of all, one has to look or define what is volatility, actually. And very often people differentiate between um, being short wall or long wall and uh, then define different strategies and asset classes out there if they're rather short wall or implicit short wall or long wall. And most of the traditional and investment styles and asset classes could be categorized as short wall. Um, so if you're along equity or um, you're buying real estate, all these different investments benefit from a rather steady environment, um, obviously upwards trending equity market, but not too volatile, not too many surprises. And this implicit um, short wall position, they get hurt if volatility hits market. And on the other side, you can develop trading strategies um, and programs, approaches which benefit from a spike in volatility or an expansion in volatility. And as such, um, you can strengthen your overall portfolio um, with uh, long wall strategies so that the overall portfolio gets uh, much more stable. You have uh, someone who has your back basically in times of crisis, um, as seen over and over again. And um, you get a better, um, more balanced portfolio by combining it. 
from a bird view perspective, long wall is adding stability to your portfolio, particularly in times of crisis. Uh, it goes uh, quite close with um, the idea of diversification or having different path dependency in your portfolio. But I would say that's the most general answer in terms of why one should have long wall or volatility. Perfect. And so in the intro, I, I referenced the Red Queen principle. And just for those that don't know, it comes from Alice in Wonderland. And, and then we overlay that into biology where we have to run faster and faster to stay in the same place, you know, from biology, predator and prey, they're both constantly getting, you know, running faster and faster to stay in the same place to stay ahead of each other or to catch each other. And so part of that that I always find fascinating is when you're running a hedge fund and, and building trading models, you know, some people say stick to your knitting, other people are looking for constant iterations, and there's a lot of trade-offs to both. And so, you know, you guys had a, a big part of your program was classical volatility arbitrage, which is, you know, the calendar spread of trading VIX calendars or the intermarket spread of trading VIX and S&P. But what I find fascinating is you went, you know, over the last year plus, you did a deep dive into researching your strategies to see where they can be improved or to maybe find anomalies that you didn't really exist to, but to basically double check all of your work. And it, and I highly commend, you know, you and your team for doing that. But tell me a little bit about how you deal with those, those trade-offs of that red queen principle uh, getting better and better, but also you know, maybe you're you're tweaking too much. And so that that's always, I'm sure, in the back of your mind is like, I don't want to mess up our programs. And, and you know, we're all dubious of a back test. So how do you how do you really handle that internally? That's a very good question. It's about evolving um, and and staying up to date uh, without the risk of just making you fit for the current environment and losing edges you may have had in the past. Zooming out, I would say that uh, it is it is always important to review your past work and the current situation, because you can learn a lot about what has happened in the past and um, how you could have done better or how you have done better than you expected, generally speaking. We approach it from a philosophical perspective when we do research that we are less, um, we are less concerned what we trade, what kind of instruments we trade. We are more focused on what kind of profile we have. And uh, it goes back to your first question, over time, we have become more and more specialized on long wall strategies or strategies which the way they trade create a long wall return profile, positively skewed returns, and um, have historically delivered in times of crisis. And now there are situations where a crisis can occur and some of these strategies may not pick up something. They may be flat. So if, it, for example, look at... Um, March last year, by all our programs, managed the COVID crisis quite well and delivered positive uncorrelated returns. Some of the components, for example, a US intraday component, didn't capture much. Why did that happen in that specific time? Because most of the crisis in March took place overnight. And so as an intraday program trading the US, this, this specific component couldn't add value to it. Because the program had evolved over time, it was initially on a U.S. trading program. It had become a global program. And as such, um, we were also trading the Asian intraday session and the, US, uh, the European intraday session in global equity index markets. And as such, we had additional trading opportunities and could still provide positive returns in that overall crisis, which was an overnight crisis from the perspective of a U.S. investor. However... We didn't stop there. So after all that has leveled out and um, yes, we were happy about the overall results, we were still curious, could we have done better? Is there more to capture in the intraday session despite that the crisis took place overnight? And how could we improve a potential overnight capture? And that uh, resulted or triggered actually two different research initiatives. One was focusing on 
um, global equity momentum. And if they, if we could develop or find something to add to what we were already doing. And on the other side, we were looking into the relative value strategies, as you just said, which did fine there, but overall could have captured more as well from, from our point of view. And at the same time, um, could have navigated other parts of last year also better. So it is, it is, I think you should never rest even when you have overall good results. And there, there are many excuses out there why um, you didn't deliver. So, for example, if you, if you tell an investor, well, if volatility uh, spikes or if volatility expands, that's when we basically deliver positive returns. Well, then there will be all kinds of different ways the volatility evolved. And there will be situations where volatility is up and your specific program, this specific sub-strategy may not have delivered, may be flat. And you may have a good excuse why this was the case, and then you go back to the investor and say, well, it wasn't the right kind of volatility. Yes, your portfolio was in, in deep trouble and um, your S&P investment was down 30 plus percent. But I'm, I'm not really focused on this overnight part. And as such, I couldn't really help you. And this backfires um, if you rest at that point. Of, um, uh, in, at that point. You, you, it's helpful to have explanations why things don't work. But it, in our case, it always triggers curiosity. When you're running into a drawdown or if you see get new data sets um, and last last year was amazing in terms of what the market did the very fast sell-off and then the then this breathtaking recovery this was a lot of new data this was new the way this evolved and that informed the research process giving us an opportunity to shine lights in corners to find new um, um, new ways of um, trading these things but going back to the um, first part of my answer we are less concerned or we're less, we're less focused on do we trade this with this specific approach or with this specific symbol. It's more about having and keeping the profile. In our long wall profile or positively skewed long wall convex profile, so to say, in terms of the results of all these programs, has become stronger and stronger from every evolutionary step. And that is also reflected in, in the latest research, which has led to a reshuffle of sub-strategies uh, in the vol-up with the introduction of a new VIX short-term momentum, for example. It is also expressed in uh, the broadening of our signals on the equity uh, intraday momentum side. So it's, it's important, I think, that you, that you know what you would like to deliver in terms of profile and that you are not too deep in love with a specific approach. You can, you can improve an approach of trading um, a, a specific path dependency, or you can add additional path dependency. And I think that's, that's what our research basically does. Reviewing what you have been doing, see if you can make it better, and see if there are other ways which can add value to um, your trading. And by diversifying, for example, via signals, diversifying via additional markets, diversifying uh, by uh, different approaches. And throughout this conversation, we'll, it'll hopefully uh, shine light on the power of using an ensemble approach. And I want to come back later to the, the intraday strategies. But I'm wondering about out of that research, um, you know, as you said, you you started to change those classical VIX relative value strategies on the on the calendar intermarket spread. The new strategy that you're calling uh, VIX short-term momentum. But I think what's interesting about your research is you really wondered about the the short vol sides of those trades. Were they really adding value over time? And I wonder if part of it, you know, a lot of people talk about central bank liquidity. Uh, but also flows trading these days. And, and part of your research was maybe finding that we're seeing a, a frequency of vol spikes, but the mean reversion is just as quick. Like March 2020 through the end of the year, 
was the fastest mean reversing or ball crush we've ever seen in history. So how did like that research get implemented into maybe changing part of those classical relative value trades into now more of a VIX short-term momentum trade where maybe you're only taking the long side of those trades? No, that's that's it's a very, very um exciting perspective you you you're opening up there. And it's it is basically the exercise of observing changes in the market environment, um, driving forces, market structure is changing on an ongoing basis. Uh, new participants may come in. We have a, um, a huge influx of uh, retail participation um, um, most recently. And they they also shifted from initially investing in funds, now more in single stocks, now in derivatives of stocks. They have become a driving force. So there is there, there are different, different uh, changes going on in different parts of the market. And as such, your strategies need to be reviewed if they are still the best choice how to how to capture what you would like to capture relative value strategies specifically on the on on the wall upside have been around for many years and there are many players out there who do a good job and we have been doing a good job historically as well um, with um, one is a calendar spread and the other is, a more, is the more classical vix versus s&p uh, long long short short and the calendar spread can go long and short as well on the front months these relative value strategies if you put them on the table they look quite nice at the outset because they designed to benefit from uh, volatility contraction so from the situation where the volatility term structure is in contango and you can now try to capture the roll yield and um, generate uh, a more steady return this is helpful if they are put into a portfolio because they can pay for other components which may have bleed. So this is an interesting aspect to it, but it's a short wall component. So this positioning being short the front months or short VIX versus S&P, even with embedded risk management ETC, is subject to sudden changes in the market environment, specifically to very short-term spikes. So if it's a one-day spike, for example. They have the capability, as also reflected in our history, um, that they can flip positions. So if we go back to 2018, the Walmageddon in February, there, for example, um, our calendar spread already uh, took a long front month's position against the back months, various days prior to the calendar uh, to, to the Walmageddon on February 5th. And the same went for the VIX versus S&P, which took a position on the Friday um, um, before Walmageddon. So... There are situations where volatility announces itself, but at the same time, in the more recent um, past, we have seen more hostile and much quicker vol spikes. Not necessarily of massive magnitude, but for example, this year we had January the 27th, um, which had seen quite a vol spike. If you if you look at the VIX, it is the second largest um, vol spike since the 1990s. The VIX futures didn't react as much, so um, there the reaction was not as large. But at the same time, the S&P didn't move as much. So there was a disconnect between the equity market and uh, the VIX term structure reaction and the VIX itself. And this was very hostile. And we had a couple of other occasions last year in, 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 in towards the end of the year. And uh, the same to a certain degree also goes to the environment in uh, Q1, Q2 last year. So there... The relative value strategies can flip, they can go long, and it's a good approach. And at the same time, you have to um, be aware that you have a short wall position in the portfolio. Our approaches on the relative value side adjusted their positions once per day in the TAS auction. Why did they do that? Because trading VIX futures is quite expensive. The transaction costs are really high. Uh, VIX futures have a, um, um, a large minimum tick, 
And um, as such, you constantly have to overcome first the transaction costs you're facing when you go into a position and being called. You can uh, mitigate these uh, trans transaction costs or actually bring them down by, for example, trading in the most liquid times of the day, which is most of the time the TAS auction, the traded settlement auction. And um, the TAS auction is at the end of the day. So that means if something happens intraday, or even early in the morning, and um, and you know already know, oh, I really don't want to have this short vol position. Now you can you can try to adjust it, but it is it it costs you higher transaction costs. Of course, sometimes the pain is much higher than the transaction costs you may face. But you see there there are certain limitations uh, embedded in trading VIX futures, and um, at the same time, it is not as nice when you just adjust your position at the end of the day. So our research project started out somewhere in September last year, where we said we would like to bring the relative value strategies intraday. We would like to make them quicker, equip them to be more reactive in these obviously observed changes in the market environment to address the short vol risk the relative value strategies have, which has been a little bit of a sting in our overall long wall orientation. Relative value has been traded since 2014 on our side. And we, at the beginning, we had an option writing strategy for the first two years, which also had um, positive annualized return, a positive contribution, but had an even more obvious short ball exposure than the relative value strategies, which we kept trading um, until recently. And so there is a history in our overall evolution that we have been revisiting um, uh, trading strategies and say, well, we, we would like to go more long ball. We would like to be less exposed to these risks because we are more interested in terms of research to be active in that field. And at the same time, um, it has been highly appreciated by um, our investor group. So we have become more and more specialized Let's put it this way, our investors have been asking a very specific profile from us, and that basically um, um, has, from two sides, resulted in us revisiting these short wall approaches and ultimately um, now um, having retired or substituted the last short wall component. When we try to take the relative value strategies intraday, obviously we're facing um, um, liquidity in, in contracts further out. It was quite clear that we can only trade intraday in the first and the second. Second is already quite critical for the first. And the classical calendar spread, where it can go out various months further out, various expiries further out, um, has definitely difficulties if you want to take it intraday. And then we also looked uh, separately in on the long and, and short side. And when you put this apart and you just have the short ball trade on, you also see that it hasn't been as strong for quite some time. And the risk-adjusted return, including the observations that you have the short ball exposure and you can occasionally get hit even with all your risk management and the ability to flip sides and go into a long ball position, highlighted that this part isn't as attractive as it used to be and also highlighted that we have much more attractive components how to build a relative uh, how to build um, a vol up portfolio and um, that basically led to the introduction of the VIX short term momentum and also to an update of our VIX intraday momentum which only trades long VIX futures so it is that doesn't mean that we will never ever in the future also trade VIX futures short but in terms of the current research understanding it's 
trading VIX futures with intraday momentum and short-term momentum and blending it also with our global equity momentum gives you a very nice balanced portfolio, which covers a lot of different past dependencies, covers different ways a wall spike can evolve, and at the same time has, because of the global approach on the equity side, the capability to also make money in different market environments where volatility may be down in the US. Because um, the global equity momentum component of VolArp trades in Asia and Europe as well. And that means if there's an, um, an opportunity in Asia, as for example seen just recently in, in China in July, where the Chinese government um, put a lot of pressure on Chinese tech companies, the large tech companies, and as such, um, um, the Hang Seng Index in Hong Kong had a difficult time. And that was a great trading opportunity, which was rather uh, insulate from the rest of the world. Um, it, it happened in China. It didn't really much influence what was going on in Europe and, and the, in the US. And if you trade um, these intraday programs globally, you have the opportunity to make some money there, while maybe in the US the opportunity doesn't present itself. And so while we have willingly accepted to give away... Um, the steady, small returns, short vol component of the relative value side, we have strengthened our long vol profile in terms of capture, at least what the research says, um, what the VIX short momentum and the VIX interday momentum show in times of crisis. And we feel very comfortable with this grown global profile on the equity side. And this shows a little bit, it is, research is a constant process, but you shouldn't rush into things. So this has taken us more than a year now. And the actual development of the programs wasn't as long. It also took us a couple of months to basically go back and forth and have reviews with the team and make sure that um, this is the right step for us in terms of, a prof uh, of our company and um, uh, the identity we have built over the years. And um, so we feel very comfortable now that um, we, have, we have enriched Volab with another um, a long wall component on, on the VIX future side and have, have covered a, a different past dependency by willingly accept uh, that we, for the time being, will not be active on the short wall side anymore. Great. There's so many things I want to touch on that you said there. One is, you know, talking about if you move to intraday, you have different liquidity constraints than if you're using that trade at settlement, you know, where so if intraday, you may need to trade, trade VX1 and VX2, primarily VX1 that front month. But if you're still trading once a day at settlement, like a lot of managers do, you might be able to go further out that curve and into tenors of anywhere from Correct. three to six months out. Part of that, though, too, is like you said, then you decided to take maybe the long only side. And, and like you said, we're all uh, a product of our mandates, right? And so if a lot of your clients are coming to you and saying, actually, we prefer you have more of a long vol tilt than a relative value, they both have trade-offs, right? Uh, relative value volatility managers stay, tend to stay in business longer than long vol or short vol <laughs> managers. So you have to deal with that headwind. But if you can find that true structuring negatively correlated and positive you know, absolute return product, then that's a fantastic way to add long volatility to your portfolio. So if you started taking the long side um, and you said it's it's looking to trade or, or reposition intraday, but this is really multiple day momentum, correct? Like how, how often or on average, how long are these trading last? Because like, I think a lot of people forget that when they when we talk about even relative value strategies, people think they're always in the market. They're not. They're trying to time when they have those um, the, that pairs trade on. But now, if you're just taking the long side, what's kind of like the average duration of that trade? It's a very good um, question because the relative value obviously constantly adjust. You, you constantly adjust your position, and you also raise the question: Is it is it juicy enough? 
in terms of the risk faced to actually have a position at all, of course. Um, and in terms of the VIX short-term momentum, it is called short momentum in comparison to the VIX intraday because it can enter positions intraday, but it can hold position up to four days. Most of the time, it doesn't. Because if we look at the different characteristics of a, of a volatility expansion or volatility contraction, when, when the VIX basically spikes and moves upwards or downwards, up is the elevator. So it's inverse to the equity market observation. Yeah? So the equity market takes stairs up and elevated down, but uh, the VIX is inverse to that. And a long wall position, most of the time, you don't have a position at all. You're waiting, you're waiting for a crisis to announce itself, to occur, gain momentum. And then with the intraday approach, you're well positioned to actually capture it whenever it actually picks up speed intraday. You can't do anything about it when you're trading overnight. And at the same time, it may announce itself and intraday it's not strong enough. So you could get a position which then benefits from the overnight. And that's where the difference of the VIX shorter momentum and the intraday momentum is. The intraday momentum exits the position at the end of the day because by definition, it doesn't carry position overnight. The VIX shorter momentum is always open to, to close positions whenever it wants, also at the end of the day, if the momentum is not strong enough. But if it's still there, and may pick up overnight, then you get a higher capture of the continuing um, volatility expansion. And if you if you look at what has happened in, in March last year, we already um, referred to um, it being an overnight crisis. So um, the S&P lost all in, in the overnight and the intraday session was actually flat. And this corresponds to the largest moves in the VIX complex also taking place overnight. This resulted in our VIX intraday momentum being rather flattish, small, small, small um, um, gains here and there, but not really a large contribution because it was outside its its focus point. But um, the VIX short momentum, at least on the research side, sh shows us uh, a very decent capture there because now it is positioned to carry on for a day or for another day. At the same time, you see um, an approach of covering past dependencies, uh, two past dependencies, but also diversifying your risk. Because there may be occasions where volatility may, into the end of the session, still show momentum and moves further up, but then volatility can come down again. It doesn't come down as quickly, so it takes the stairs down, but that means that your big short-term momentum, which now is carrying maybe the second day, is giving back some of these returns. But on the other side, you have locked in other returns with the VIX short-term momentum already. And so you see that even when VIX spikes and then comes down a bit or even larger on, on the following days, the VIX short-term momentum is diversified in regards to what its sibling, the interim momentum, has been doing. And it's, it's reflective of how we develop different signals. Very often they are related, but add a, a different twist, a different path dependency to it. All have this joint profile, so both of them will not really trade if volatility is rather flattish. If we currently look at the current market environment, <clears throat> the intraday S&P volatility is currently around 8% in 2021. This is the second lowest in the last 20-something years, 23 years. And only 2017 has been lower. And this not only goes for the intraday, also the um, the overall close-to-close S&P volatility, I think it's a third or fourth lowest in the past 20 years. So it shows that volatility is currently, while the VIX is around 20, volatility is still low in terms of realized volatility. The markets, the S&P hasn't really moved substantially up or down for quite some time. So we haven't seen, we haven't seen 
um, a lot of VIX spikes recently or VIX movements. And as such, um, both the VIX intraday momentum as well, the, as, as well as the VIX um, shorter momentum haven't seen many trades this year and are rather flattish, which we are fine with. That's exactly what they're um, supposed to do. But they should be ready and well positioned if something happens. Uh, you've been hinting at it so much. Obviously, I want to move to the, the intraday convexity capture strategy next. But before we get there, this is a, an interesting thing that, that we think about constantly as well is you guys are very circumspect and thoughtful and, and, and did a lot of research. But isn't it's, even if you have very systematic strategies, it's always art plus science. So I'm curious of like how you guys had that internal debate on the art side of like, are we just um, you know, moving our models to recent history? Right. Are we then going to miss, you know, because trades come in and out of fashion, markets change. So it's it, you got to be very, um, you know, patient on whether you're going to change strategies or not, because you don't know if you're just fighting the most recent data set. I'm curious about how that debate went internally for you guys to to make that decision of combining the art and the science side. This is always an ongoing debate everywhere with, yeah. <laughs> with every manager. One could argue that we're in a slightly um, luckier position. Um, just from the evolution, how we have evolved, because we are predominantly focusing on momentum strategies and at the same time, more on the left side. So uh, if you think about the return distribution and the S&P moves a bit up, a bit down and has this bell-shaped curve. And if I talk about the left side, I'm talking about the left tail, larger larger movements. And this goes for the, for the um, um, equity programs as well as for the VIX program. So we're looking for larger movements. These large movements, specifically on the left side, are driven by some very fundamental, omnipresent behavioral aspects, fear and panic. And fear and panic has been around for many years and will be there for many years. Even when you use algos, people quote algos, they set their stops and everything. So when, 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 when the heat hits the market, people people get worried. I, I get worried. I get sweaty hands as well. Our entire team. Luckily, we don't have to make any decisions in, when the heat hits the market because it's all automated. Um, but I'm still suffering and always lose weight um, in, in such an environment. And then I say, oh, it's, I'm so enlightened with all the new data we can work on. But yeah, it was still a very, very painful period, independent of positive or negative returns. And now think about all these folks, which I do not envy, who have to make decisions while this is happening and say, oh, no, we have to go. Oh, we have to liquidate. Yeah? And then in a situation where liquidity tries up and they see that a larger part of the portfolio shows correlations, which haven't been around, but now in times of crisis, everything goes to one. And except, of course, of the long wall. And, <laughs> and uh, as, as such, as such um, these, these behavioral aspects are, are, are very strongly embedded in market movements and data in recent but also in long-term history. And as such, because we are focusing on these, I would say we are a bit less at risk of just working on something which has been around more recently may disappear going forward. That's fair. You know, you were hinting at the idea of also the, the intraday VIX trade. So I want to get to that, that program you guys call ICC or intraday convexity capture. And I think about, you know, almost a decade ago, I was building um, my own intramarket spreads, you know, internally trading VIX and S&P. And I remember, you know, looking through that data and figuring out a trading strategy. Um, one of the things I always was fascinated by was you could, uh, you know, if you traded intraday on the VIX, 
you could make a lot of money. There was there was opportunities there, except as you referenced earlier, the fifty dollar tick size, right, and then the <laughs> transaction costs. So you had these, uh, you had this amazing P and L until you factored that in, right? But you guys, uh, you guys are willing to fight those headwinds, and you're you're willing to trade uh, VIX long only intraday. So so tell me about if you know that's that's the enormous hurdle you have to achieve. So your your P and L has to look, you know, twice as good. How do you guys think about trading, um, you know, intraday VIX contracts? Yeah, don't be too harsh on yourself. Maybe you should go back to your research um, of 10 years ago or something like that and just take a take another look because obviously we have been facing the same issues and um, because of philosophical reasons, we are focused on the long side and we, we believe that it's really added value and it's our role for our investors as well for most of our investors with a specific role. But at the same time, uh, it's also, it's not easy, but the, the, the long side is more juicy. Because because of the characteristics of the VIX moving up as strongly, elevator style, you you can overcome the transaction cost easier than on the short side. Because the short side, you are forced to keep your position on longer. Because of the, the, the short side comes down not as quick. That goes directly into a longer time of the trades um, or the necessity to, to keep longer. And that exposes you to risk longer. And so the short side is more difficult. Um, we would, it's not that we don't like the short side. Um, you can, you can, you, you can make an argument that if there's a VIX spike and you know that it, the VIX can't stay up there yeah, uh, because uh, the underlying forces which have brought it up there will not be sustainable. The market will not be moving as harsh to actually justify its levels um, um, uh, in, in this altitude. So you know that it's coming down and it's, of course, tempting to do research there and then take a short position. But these occasions are not as often and you don't have as many data points. And um, so it is it is a bit more tricky and we will certainly continue to do research. But at the, for the time being, if you're very comfortable just on the long side and there you don't have, you still have the issue with the transaction cost, but you have an overall better setting and more juicy um, opportunity set. But part of that, I would assume too, is that that trade's not going to be taken very often. It's going to be a pretty, that, that, that program is going to be quiet for long stretches of time, correct? Correct. Do you have any data on like how yeah how often you're taking those trades? I mean, obviously it's going to be highly dependent on if we're in a low vol, high vol environment. Are we phase shifting to a higher vol environment? Are we seeing spikes? You know, you could go dormant for long periods of time. Correct. Um, it's in in, in that program. It's less than six percent of the days. So it's really it depends. It can be for weeks or months. But there have been a couple of trades this year already. Uh, many more trades last year, of course, specifically in the first half of the year. So it is it is very patient and waiting for the opportunity um, um, to present itself. Um, at the same time, uh, you don't have any bleed there. Yeah? Um, if you think about um, the option side of things, where you can structurally set up a profile and a strategy where you can benefit from these moves as well, but you constantly have to roll uh, your options, you have to face with bleed. Ob obviously, an option uh, structure has the advantage that it's on. And, so, and whereas uh, a dynamic strategy as um, the VIX shorter momentum or the uh, VIX interday momentum, they are positioned to capture something, but they can also miss something. Yeah? So we, we, are, we, are, we have decided to capture the bulk of the movement. But if you already have your position on in terms of an option, you are there right from the beginning. But at the same time, you have to face the bleed, and so we don't um, um, we don't have the issue with bleed. So we feel we can be very comfortably sitting at the sidelines, 
actively watching the market for days and weeks to come. And, but it's very important to be to be then very reactive when things are happening. And so you get an option-like payout without the premium, but you don't have the certainty of the option. Um, obviously, we have been working on, on the programs for many, many years, and we would like to have a, a, as high as possible certainty to capture, capture these things. But um, the certainty to capture the trade um, is reduced. But overall, if you look at all these different components of the various programs we have, if you add them to the portfolio, there is a very high certainty that they will add value um, to the overall portfolio, that your drawdown will be smaller, that your compounding will be higher. Um, but it, what I'm trying to do here at the moment is to, to show that there are a lot of ways to capture vol, and VIX momentum is one. Uh, we also utilize equity momentum, but there are also a lot of very interesting option strategies which we don't utilize, but we which we acknowledge and we are excited that other people are doing a good job there. And we feel always very comfortable when looking at our investors' portfolio and we see other folks who do other things on the long wall side, being together in one portfolio, having a specific role as a long wall bucket in comparison with all the other asset classes. Because I know that by being surrounded by different approaches, we have many, many past dependency covered. And of course, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the gospel to a certain degree when I'm talking to you, because obviously in, in, in the Mutiny project, you, you, have, you have this ensemble approach. And the same goes um, for the, the latest, the cockroach as well, the cockroach approach where you combine vol and all the different asset classes. And we are really excited about that because it, it, is, um, it takes a bit the pressure a little bit from the individual manager. But at the same time, because, because ultimately you want your client to succeed. And at the same time, you're constantly working to, to maybe offer an additional past dependency which can fit into the portfolio. And that's what our research has been about over the past couple of years and resulted in these latest updates in February and now in August. Thanks. I appreciate that. But uh, thankfully, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. <laughs> but you did make an excellent point about when you're long volatility, we think about this um, tripartite Venn diagram where you have carry, convexity, and certainty. And you mm -hmm. have to trade off between those two about what path dependencies you're going to do and what strategy you're going to use. Um, but going to what I think is the most interesting and unique strategy you guys have, which is your ICA, your intraday crisis alpha. So... With apologies to our, our very kind hosts of this podcast that are, are great trend followers and, and really espouse the, the benefits of trend following, you will often hear trend followers say that you cannot uh, do trend following in, in short-term timeframes, right? Now, I know guys like Nigel at Quest or Roy Niederhofer would disagree with that, but they're even doing uh, maybe over a few days. Now, you guys must be gluttons for punishment because you are trying to do <laughs> intraday trend following. And that, that's a very unique strategy that very few people are willing to tackle. And what I think is even more importantly, you're doing intraday trend, both long and short, on end equity indices around the world. So you're trading US, Europe, and Asia. Uh -huh. So what makes you think you can pull that off when the whole trend following space has told you that's not possible? Maybe they have just told you and kept the juice for themselves. <laughs> um, some of the names mentioned, which we uh, have a lot of respect for, they're quite large. And um, being intraday always comes with capacity constraints. Yeah, you can't run a billion fund, or, like you can try, um, but um, you can't, I would argue you can't trade a billion fund in short-term momentum in equity markets using just futures. You can use you can use a momentum signal and implement with different ways. You get more. Um, capacity by using ETFs and, and you can use options as well. But generally speaking, it's more capacity constraint and niche. It also comes with um, 
a lot of technology and slash infrastructure. So you need all the data sets for the different markets and um, you, you need operational infrastructure, best trading in these different markets. So we, we trade um, uh, Japan out of Tokyo and then um, Hong Kong out of Hong Kong. Then we have London and Chicago. Servers in all these different places, um, more or less tra trading 24 hours with just very short breaks. So it's quite a hurdle for a not as large capacity. We're talking maybe 200 million, 250 million or something like that. And um, at the same time, very challenging as well, as you said. Yeah? And I think that's why a lot of um, players aren't really active, active uh, in, in, that, in that field. We have been researching that for many years and um, um, have also failed with the one or other approach um, and learned from that and then basically um, um, refined, refined our approach. And as also reflected in, you referred to the, the uh, in ICA program, the Interday um, Crisis Alpha, it initially only traded um, the S&P. And um, trading the S&P, the most advanced market, basically gave us a good starting point. If something works here, we can, it most likely can work somewhere else as well. And um, at the same time, the research process led us to an addition of an additional signal. And so in February this year, we added um, an additional signal, which we call the active interday momentum, just to differentiate between it being more active than the original signal. And um, this signal was developed based on our observations of ICA over the past couple of years, or the classical signal over the past couple of years, but also um, during higher vol environments, um, where we said... Um, there is a different different approach how we can maybe even capture um, different momentum. Um, going back to um, the return distribution I referred to earlier. So if you have the return distribution of an equity market, S&P, for example, if you trade momentum, it is quite important to focus on trendiness, on larger movements in these underlyings, in the S&P, for example. And if you... If you try to get too many trades and jump on everything which moves, then you are um, exposed to the middle territory of this distribution, which is highly mean reverting. And the equity markets, if you compare the S&P um, return distribution, for example, to the normal distribution, you will see that these mean reverting days are more frequent, substantially more frequent than the normal distribution. So we have, we have this dangerous um, or challenging mean reverting environment much more often than you would normally expect from a perspective of the return distribution. But at the same time, where it becomes interesting for us, the outer edges, um, so the tail events, they're also substantially more frequent. So you have um, um, a situation where these equity markets very often showing you a challenging environment, but offer you a very juicy environment once in a time when these um, moves um, travel toward the outer edges of the distribution. And this goes for both sides. This goes for on the left side when the market sells off and also on the right-hand side. And very often the, the larger upwards moves are tied to a move on the left side. So you may have a sell-off on one day and the next day you may have a recovery um, or pullback a little bit where the market says, well, uh, maybe it's not as bad as we experienced yesterday. It's maybe it's just half as bad. Yeah? And then you already have to move upwards. And one of the tool sets we used, which may be the reasons why we have made it work, was to um, just focus on the outer edges at the beginning of the distribution. So in terms of our development, when we started trading ICA back in 2017, we first just traded one market 
and we only went after the large moves. So um, ICA utilizes ranges where a range needs to be broken. Um, or the classic signal, I have to say, uses ranges. The original signal uses ranges, and the range needs to be broken. That means it's it's like um, cutting away the middle part and says, in this area, I don't want to trade. If the market moves in this in this mean reverting territory, I stay at the sidelines, and when the market moves towards the outer edges, that's where I want to come active. And by that, um, we already get quite a good signal quality. Um, but at the same time, we had to do a lot of work on additional... Um, what we call proprietary qualifiers, which tell us something about how this momentum evolves, what kind of drivers are currently in the market with very granular data. Is it, is it more likely that this momentum continues? Uh, does it um, gain in, in force and steam or is it basically getting weaker? And as such, we had, a, we had some additional layers to, make sh to increase the quality of our trades. So the range being broken was just one criteria. And, and, and you need a lot of other criteria in order to confirm a trade that you would like to take a short position in a um, downwards momentum or long position in an upwards momentum. And that could be one of the reasons um, why it differs a little bit to the classical trend following, I would say. But uh, go, going back, I, I still think that um, the classical trend following guys, they, they, have, they can apply their signals to various of these markets, but not with, with, with the capacity. And they probably also do so on the prop trading side. So I wouldn't say that these approaches don't work. Um, and they have a very important role because they, they again, add a different path dependency to the portfolio. Um, they are certainly um, subject to sudden changes uh, you could where they have a long equity under the roof and now the market um, basically has a quick sell-off by system design they will lose money it's very they maybe they have lightened up their inventory a bit for whatever reasons because they have some indicators which tell them it's more likely that the market will roll over but uh, they are the, they are exposed to these risks and that's where we can step in and say that's awesome that you're around here you have gotten us for the last couple of months and provided beautiful returns because trend generally speaking is doing quite well this year um, mm. but if something happens they will most likely give back some or larger parts of these returns and that's where maybe guys like us can step in and help them a little bit and um that's what we try to achieve with this um, uh, intraday momentum. And of course, we got quite excited when it worked in, in the S&P. So we broadened the markets in the US and then we started trading Asia. Asia is more volatile. It is, uh, as I said earlier, uh, also not connected on the intraday level. What do I mean with that? From a classical investment perspective, when you try to diversify by geographies and you hold your positions for longer, um, you hold equity positions in the US and equity positions in Asia and Europe, uh, by holding them, they become more and more correlated because um, the equity markets in these different geographies are correlated and have become more correlated over the past years. That may be up subject to change. We're currently seeing quite some disruptions in terms of supply chains and all the other things, geographical, uh, geopolitical tensions. But there is, an, there has, you can, you can statistically show that they have become correlated, and that you don't have such a strong diversification uh, benefit from investing in these different regions. However, if you go intraday, so not close to close, but open to close, they're actually not really correlated. So by trading intraday, you have an access point to a different market, which is uncorrelated to your core market in the US. And as such, whatever is happening there already provides uncorrelated return streams to your US 
um, centered perspective. And if it's a locally confined or geographically confined crisis, uh, then you can trade something there. Additionally, you have the ability to trade your capital multiple times per day something one can refer to as a global relay race. Yeah, so the, the relay is given from, from the, the signals in Asia to the um, uh, signals in Europe in some cases. In some cases, it, whatever happens stays in Asia or Europe gaps down and flattens out. So if, if whatever is driving market announces it itself or um, is, is, uh, is taking place via gaps, um, then you can't really do anything about it in the next intraday session. But sometimes... Um, news travel around the world, a crisis travels around the world, um, new, new additional information about the crisis comes into play, Europe is reacting to it, so you could see a substantial downwards move in Europe following one in Asia, in maybe even the US. Yeah? So it, it is not as often that it's all geographies, one after another, but um, we very often have trades in two related, or it's a locally confined crisis. And um, that cert certainly helps as well. And it's specific, not just, it's not, it's our way of trading, it's specific to intraday strategies. So if there are other guys who are doing intraday, they also have these capabilities at their hand or the tool set at their hand that um, you can access uncollate returns and you can trade your cap multiple times a day. This is all specific to intraday. As soon as you start holding longer overnight, your things become more correlated and you give up um, uh, these advantages. I want to highlight some of those things is, um, you know, it's, it's, it would seem counterproductive or counterintuitive is that if you trade those markets independently and then you have a global relay race like you referred to is like the 87 crash started in Asia, carried over the US and then to Europe. And so you can capture those, but you wait to not to anthropomorphize your strategies, but you're basically wiping your memory though from each market. So if they do become uncorrelated, you're trading them independently. But then if they're correlated, you should still see that momentum carry through. So you get a little bit of the best of, of both worlds in that scenario. And, and, and like you referenced uh, throughout this conversation that, you know, it was very unique uh, 2020 that, especially in March of 2020, that, you know, we didn't see it during the intraday session in the US on the S&P. It was only in overnight sessions. And that's why it's really important to trade the world markets because you may not be getting those short trades on you need because it's happening in the overnight session, which doesn't have the liquidity in the S&P, but you can get a proxy for that environment in Europe and Asia. I also want to go maybe go back for a second. Obviously, we we obviously at our firm believe in ensembling your your timing dependencies on trend following, right? Whether that's intraday, short term, medium term, long term, we think you can harness a lot of the dispersion in the return streams that way. And so and you know, you might actually be you have some netting as well there because they might be going against each other, like you're saying, the long term could be losing some of their open profit while the short term is taking the other side of that trade, which is we believe is a maybe a better way of constructing a portfolio. But I want to kind of give a synopsis of the intraday crisis alpha. And by, by doing that, I'm likely to oversimplify. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But the idea is like classical trend following is like now you have two signals or two breakout models. One's a little bit more faster reacting to capture maybe the shoulders of the move. And your classic one is out on the tail. So maybe it's a little slower reacting, so to speak. But just like a, a classical breakout, you need that trend to continue for you to be able to capture any sort of profit on those trades. Yes. Generally speaking, zooming out, a momentum trade means you, you let your profits run and um, uh, you somehow work with um, stops. In our case, our proprietary qualifiers are a stop, but we also have stop, stops of last resort. You can pull stops closer, but you let, you let the profits run. In case of intraday, um, the show is over when the day is over. Yeah? So basically, whatever, <laughs> maybe they run further. 
but that's not for this specific signal. It's an intraday signal. Then maybe the next geography can take over and take over the relay and continue racing. The uh, second signal you refer to, uh, the one which we added in February, um, doesn't have ranges. And as such, when, when you go back to the return distribution and we now here at, at, the, at the tails, the idea was um, to um, develop, or actually the outcome was um, that we now have a signal which enters a bit quicker because it doesn't have these ranges. It also is a, a bit quicker in times where the market maybe is moving up a little bit and uh, somewhere in the range of the classic signal on, more on the upper side. And now some really bad news comes through. The market is reacting very harshly. And in the classic signals case, the market first has to move until it breaks the lower bound. So it basically has to travel through the range. The ranges are dynamic, so it's not every single day the same. So it depends on the on, on a very short-term perspective of the environment. But still, you, you miss out some of the move, or you can potentially miss out some of the move in some cases. So it's a past dependency there. And the uh, aim signal, the active interim momentum, uh, which was added, doesn't have these ranges. Uh, it also utilizes a proprietary qualifiers and says, I have sufficient evidence that this move is very strong and I want to step in and take a short position already. And now you're more diversified. If the move continues to the outer edges of the distribution, there will be a point where um, the aim position will be joined by the ICA position and um, both of them can ride the move. Obviously, they are, they are correlated and as such... Um, we don't trade uh, these strategies on top of each other. So it's not that um, our two days ICA has the same exposure to classic as uh, it used to have before we um, added the aim signal. No, they have a 50-50 exposure because of these characteristics. But if the crisis is large enough, the two of them will have a position. If not, um, you will see more activity coming from aim. As such, aim is also more volatile, um, uh, trades more often, is also wrong more often in direct comparison to classic, but captures a different return profile. And um, as such, we would not recommend to trade it as a standalone. You can, it can fit into someone's portfolio, but we would always combine it because we like, as you said, the ensemble approach as well. We have two different ways of trading intraday momentum. They um, enhance themselves. They have joint shared positive characteristics, but a different view on markets as well. And we'll have the drawdowns um, sometimes at the same time, but also at other times. So very often AIM has a trade um, and ICA doesn't. And so you have different return streams coming in. And this is very representative of uh, the overall research process in, in our team that we, we look at what we have and then we uh, get curious about how we could do something different. But the different doesn't lead to um, tossing out the old it, it maybe needs to a reshaping, an update of what we already have or to an addition of an additional signal. And in, in case of the active interlay momentum, it was informed by the data in Q1 last year. While we, we would also happily accept the argument our U.S. interlay momentum couldn't capture something because um, the uh, crisis took place overnight, there were still some very large moves in the U.S. intraday session. And some some other managers actually um, also capture something there. They have a different profile. They have their drawdowns at different times. But we said, wait a moment, that's very interesting. How did they do that? And that uh, fueled curiosity. And um, our data shows that AIM could be 
an answer to that, um, that parts of what they captured could be captured with AIM if such a scenario presents itself. Historically, uh, the crises in the US equity markets have played out intraday. And um, it is um, rather rare that it is in the overnight as, as seen in, in March last year. But it could happen again. Yeah, maybe we are in, in an environment where things are playing out more overnight for whatever reason, because other market participants are in, they're trading at different times. There can be various reasons. And, and we are not as knowledgeable what it, why, it's, why it's happening, and we are less focused on why it's happening. We are more interested in how could we benefit from it if it's happening again without giving up our original profile. And that's why it was um, resulted in an additional signal. And so we talked about um, big short-term momentum that you guys decided to take more of the just long vol trades on the on the relative value basis. And then obviously with the, the intraday convexity capture, you're just going long VIX intraday. So these are obviously very long volatility profiles. But now with this intraday crisis alpha, obviously you're shorting the market indices around the world, but you also take some of the long side of those trades. Why would you do that? It relates to um, what I briefly mentioned earlier, that very often the larger upward moves are happening or taking place in a crisis that it, it actually it actually also happened last year and and but has happened over and over again that there is a very strong connection between a sell-off and a recovery not full recovery but if we talk about these v-spike moves it's not just v-spikes over weeks and months it can be v-spike one day down next day up maybe even intraday then it's not as juicy but more dangerous but today's crisis is tomorrow's opportunity Two days fear and panic is a new opportunity set tomorrow. This isn't the case, again, if you hold positions overnight, because then you may lose on the next day. But if you monetize your open trade profit after a sell-off, you're agnostic to what happens on the next day. We happily take the long trade uh, in that environment. And the uh, if you look at the return distribution of the S&P on the right-hand side, they are very often in the same time period um, these larger moves um, as um, on the left-hand side. Um, the behavioral aspects of investors aren't as pronounced on the right-hand side in terms of that there is now super greed um, or, yes, we talk about complacency and people using more leverage and uh, these aspects, but they don't show necessarily in a very large intraday move on the S&P or even overnight move. It is, it is um, more what you see there the average, the average up and down is pronounced in the middle part, and the S&P moves up in very small steps with rather low volatility, as I said earlier. That's the entire market move happens with very low realized volatility. And so um, that's why for the long vol profile of the global equity um, intraday momentum, it is very, it's very helpful and useful and a very important component as well to trade the long side. It's not for being um, the hundreds guy in your portfolio to be long as well on an average up day. It is to actually monetize on a sell-off and potentially trade the V-spike on the next day in a crisis environment where liquidity crisis and prices are all over the place, but the market moves up and down in very hostile fashion. And this up and down in hostile fashion, if pronounced in one day up, another day down, or the other way around, uh, other, uh, other way around then it is an opportunity because these are two different opportunities. Starting on a clean sheet and being agnostic 
is one unique feature of intraday programs, not specific to ours, but us, uh, ICA being intraday benefits from that. Yeah, the way I think about it sometimes is um, it's very different between risk on and risk off, right? The, the risk off environment happens, volatility, volatility picks up, and you're going to get whips out a lot more. You know, one day the market might be down 10%, the next day might be up 10% as it's selling off lower across the entire month. You know, each day, as we saw in March, can be vastly different. So to me, it's sometimes a profit protector, right? If you made money on the short side, and the next day it's going to V-shape recover on you and, and, whip, and whip back into your face, by having some of those long trades on on the outer side of that distribution, it's really profit protecting the gains you made on the short side sometimes. But then the question is, what about during the risk on cycle? If you have those long trades, then you'd think they'd be correlated with your equity beta. But if it's really the tails of that distribution, then we're really talking about long ball is really variance, right? And variance is on both sides. So yep. you're only getting into the long side during a risk on cycle if we had huge variance to the upside, like we saw with like single name YOLO stocks or meme stocks uh, recently. Yeah, and additionally, probably also not specific to our approach, but if you're intraday, that means you're very short term. And um, if you're so short term and you're not invested most of the time, you, it, you don't pick up beta. Yeah, so if you do an analysis of your return streams and our position in comparison to market beta, you don't really, it's not your, it's not, it's not your hundreds long trade an intraday program should add if you if 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 it's part of the portfolio um yes it very briefly may have a long position as well but um it is in there out of different reason and goes out at least at the end of the day if not earlier and as such the beta component is negligible <laughs> so it is um <laughs> it's not really driving driving factor is it a word like ne negligible it is i think yeah <laughs> Neg negligible and uh, here we go <laughs> but I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna discount you because you know I, I i wouldn't know how to say that in german so uh, you're you definitely get a pass on that one and sometimes like maybe in a 99 type scenario where we have a melt up then you're going to get the tails of the distribution on the on the long side as well but part of that so we we're talking about the counterintuitive nature of taking you know long market indices trades you know during a sell-off like march 2020 because we we're talking about as that ball of all picks up Another strategy you have that I think is counterintuitive as well is you have your LDA program, which takes you know single name stock mean reversion characteristics. But what I find fascinating and counterintuitive about that, it did exceedingly well in March of 2020 because once again, because we we expanded the distribution space, and so we had large amounts of mean reversion or basically oversold single names. So tell me about that. Like it's, you wouldn't think that you would want a mean reversion product in March of 2020, but there's there's this very specific case set where you actually would want that product. Yes, and uh, yeah, liquid equity alpha is a, it's its own kind of a beast. It's intraday mean reversion single stocks and basically picking a falling knife, and then it, it happens to be not a falling knife. But it's 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 a very counterintuitive game, specifically in times of crisis and as a human being making this decision, I couldn't make it. it. I'm happy that it's coded and um, it has been trading since 2010. So it's very robust as well. But uh, the key driver, um, how I would answer, or the, the, the main answer to your question would be, it's because it's intraday. As soon as you start holding longer, it, it changes the dynamic. Um, mean reversion is most of the time, obviously a short wall trade, implicit short wall. And as such, would get hurt badly in a in a volatile host, hostile environment but here here we are talking about again about behavioral aspects overreactions uh, bombed out stock and we're not talking about um, a greenfield investment it is it is it's large cap 
large big names, which due to various drivers in the market, because everything needs to be liquidated, people are decrossing, deleveraging. So a lot of force happen, forces coming into play in such a scenario in March. Corey Hofstein is referring to that the, the liquidity cascades. So that's 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 where you can or read about it. And it's these drivers lead to um substantially mispriced um opportunities on single stock names. And while liquid equity alpha doesn't use any fundamentals, it just looks at the, the price action. It then has the op- it has a substantially larger opportunity set in these um in these scenarios. Such a mean reversion approach, one of the biggest hurdles is that the opportunities don't present themselves very often. It's looking for an overreaction in these large names, and these very rarely happen, maybe once every two years um, in most cases. Um, or, and in, in such a specific um, crisis in March, now a lot of these opportunities present themselves, and even when the market closes down further, where it closes down the negative, there's still overreaction in that. Um, there's always a little bit, always, always a difficult word in the setting. Very often there's there's a pullback, at least on some of these names. And now we have a diversified approach. It's not blindly buying the entire market. It has a very systematic approach of uh, putting basket together or not uh, characteristics of specific stocks, which then have different entry levels. So the risk management and the way you set up the trade is dependent on characteristics which are monitored throughout the day and uh, you don't trade every single stock the same way. So it is it is, it is is based on these characteristics that you uh, have a systematic decision making to now, now this one is substantially overbought and um, I, I layer in and may have a potential to actually capture some of the bounce back. But again, going back to my very complicated answer at the beginning, it is because it's intraday. Yeah? It is different as soon as you start holding overnight then you have different dynamics coming in. And uh, uh, as said multiple times already, the crisis took place overnight. So there were bounces back intraday. We had circuit breakers hitting early in the morning. And the overall intraday session was flattish, even upwards at the end um, um, of March. But uh, holding overnight would expose you to additional losses in these names as well in such a scenario. So the Leah could benefit from being an intraday program in such a setting. And then, of, of course, in the following months, um, there were continuous overreactions that the market needed to digest what was happening now with um, the Fed stepping in and a lot of uh, support from from that side and pushing the market further up. And that created still a lot of overreactions in single names. So it was a, it was a really good year um, for Leah, for sure. But again, Leah works best when being added to a portfolio with other long wall strategies. Leah has a long wall profile by outcome. Yeah, so the, pro, the return profile is long wall, but it's a mean version strategy. So it's, 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 a, it's a, a, a slightly longer stretch. But if you look at the return distribution and you do your analysis, you would say, yeah, that's long wall positively skewed. I'm fine with it. And then you learn, ah, that's a mean version program. Then wait a moment. So I understand the hesitation there. Um, but uh, we would always recommend to combine it uh, with the interday momentum, for example. Um, or we are currently in the, on the research pipeline. Um, we have an interday momentum on single stocks, which would work quite well with obviously liquid equities alpha mean reversion on single stocks. So the overall takeaway, I think, it's always think about past dependencies, not all eggs in one basket. Uh, so a lot of these wise um, um, <laughs> agriculture-related advices, how to trade markets, um, are working quite well in these circumstances, <laughs> and um, 
uh, past dependency is just a different different fancy word probably for um, the egg and basket thing. As you, as you know, I couldn't agree more. But also um, what I really like about what you guys do is it makes you really think a lot harder about your prior assumptions, right? So if I'm in a, a market that's selling off, with people would say that's a divergent market. And you're saying, hey, I have these convergent trades that'll do well in a divergent market. And it's like the record skips. You're like, what? Like it makes you, it's, it makes you seize up your brain a little bit. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, you get, makes you guys, and that's what I love. You have very counterintuitive ideas that make you think a little bit harder about your prior assumptions. And so it's very interesting to look at markets through the lens that you guys do. So obviously the series is about volatility as an asset class, but for lack of a better term, I also like to think about capital efficiency as an asset class or, or people don't talk about capital efficiency enough. And when you trade intraday strategies, there's a tremendous amount of capital efficiency. And what I mean by that is like, you don't even need to finance the trade. So if you're going to your FCM and let's say you're long equity beta or you're, you're long 60-40 and you're using futures, you can actually overlay intraday strategies like you'd overlay you know, put options against your book. Or if you had a classical trend following program, you could add these intraday strategies and it, it doesn't have any financing costs. So kind of talk to me about like that idea of intraday and, and people may not realize that essentially if you have other parts of your book at the FCM, you actually don't need to finance these positions. Yeah, it it is it it is one of um, the hidden advantages of intraday. They are they are they're not as obvious because most of the time when you add managers to a portfolio, you have to come up with margin. What are the margin requirements for this manager? But the the margin world in terms of intraday margin and overnight margin is a very different one. Generally speaking, margins intraday are lower. Um, you get some discounts in comparison to the overnight. Depending on your setup, you don't need any margin at all uh, for intraday programs. It depends a little bit where you're trading the strategies. And as such, uh, you're not in a position where you now want to allocate to a manager and you have to think up where do I get the money from, which of either you have to get in fresh money in these circumstances or you have to de-invest somewhere else. So you say, well, then I reduce my exposure there or I substitute the manager. And that's not the case for intraday. The intraday, um, you can put it put it on top or um, at the side. Um, doesn't necessarily mean overlay. You can put it at the side so everybody is on the same level. But um, it doesn't require... Uh, a lot of capital, or if capital at all, that's 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 for sure. So it has a very high degree of capital efficiency, and as such, um, uh, in terms of your analysis, what brings a manager and adds to your portfolio, you can you can um, more focus on the characteristics. What kind of correlations does this manager have in different scenarios, and potentially also not just look at overall correlations, but uh, conditional correlations when the other things are up and down. And so, it's, there's a broad um, field of terminology in terms of correlation. So you can be correlated, non-correlated, or uncorrelated, negatively correlated, anti-correlated. And ultimately, it, it, what it all means is that it, you should look for, or it helps if you look for um, strategies and add them to your existing portfolio, which do different than the already existing strategies in terms of the return profile, specifically in times of crisis. And that stabilizes your portfolio. And if you manage to find something which is having positive returns in line with other with some of the parts when they are up, and then you have positive returns when the other components are down, so you're basically positively correlated in up times, for example, the S&P, and you're negatively correlated in down times, that can be that can be very beneficial, but it gets even more complex because correlation does not necessarily tell you um, if the returns are positive or negative. It it just tells you about 
the um, magnitude of the relation of the return streams to each other. But in intraday strategies basically can can be um, sized and shaped and added, not just ours, generally speaking, to a portfolio based on focusing on these these components and you don't really have to um, focus on the financing of, of such strategies. It immediately changes if you start holding positions overnight. Yeah? So, for example, if you think about our Vola program, it has weak short-term momentum, which carries overnight. It is highly capital efficient because you have different sub-strategies in there which are intraday, but you still um, need a little bit of margin in order to cover for the occasional case where the weak future has uh, such a juicy uh, setup that um, the strategy would rather carry on and not liquidate it at the end of the day. And so that's capital efficiency. I also want to just point out capital constraints. Like you said, what you guys are doing intraday is highly capital constrained. So it's never going to be a large manager's uh, position because they can't, they can't really afford to trade in those markets. So in a way, I want to, I want to thank you and all the other uh, managers that are running capacity-constrained strategies. So they're basically trying to make an artisanal living. And I'm almost in a dilemma. It's like, I, I love you guys, so I want to highlight you. But at the same time, I want to keep you to myself because you know that capacity constraint exists. And that's a that's a difficult decision. We're in we're in a world where everybody's going for growth for growth's sake, and everybody wants to raise the largest AUM in the world. But sometimes, you know, that that might not be the best thing for your strategies. So I want to thank you for coming on to uh, talk about the unique strategies and the unique way you guys look at this volatility space. And with that, I'll hand it back to Niels. Thanks so much, Jason and Bastian, for a great conversation. Good to have Bastian back after all these years. I really enjoyed hearing about the research process that goes into designing a long ball strategy and how the profile of the strategy really takes center stage and also that you really need to be quite agile when it comes to changes in the market structure. And even if Bastian and Jason made a little bit of fun of us trend followers in the nicest possible way, of course, make sure you go and follow Bastian and Jason's work. As you can tell from today's conversation, there are many exciting facets to volatility and we really look forward to exploring many more of them as this series continue. From Jason and me, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you on the next episode as our journey into the world of volatility continues. In the meantime, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.